The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? Doing well, Ben. I'm excited for today's episode. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well and I'm also excited for today's episode. Goes. We have a pretty cool guest on today, um, our good friend John Chepkevich, who is Director of Scouting at PBC or Pro Basketball Combine, which we're going to talk all about today. So John, uh, how's it going today? Hey guys, how's it going? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John, so for people who don't know what PBC is, do you want to give a brief overview on what it is you guys do um, as a part of the pre-draft process? As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your on your online wagering experts. Yeah, sure. So, uh, essentially, a few years ago, when the new CBA kicked in and two way contracts came into the fold, uh, Jake Kelfer, who started the PBC, kind of saw an opportunity there where the NBA draft combine itself was only hosting, you know, sixty to seventy guys, and there were going to be. 60 additional roster spots in the NBA. So a lot of fringe prospects who are still pretty talented needed a platform to kind of show what they bring to the table in an an intimate environment in front of NBA personnel. So Jake started that thing shortly thereafter, and I jumped on board in year two. And it essentially just functions as a secondary combine for uh, guys that are kind of in the two-way contract wheelhouse and or might be pretty good overseas players or maybe some guys that, you know, go undrafted and eventually fight their way into the NBA. So it's been really cool to be a part of that and kind of, uh, you know, see a few classes of the PBC come through and some guys go on to have really successful starts to their careers. Yeah, over the, over the first few years, um, what what have what have you found to be the most valuable parts of of um, being involved in in uh, what you do over there? Yeah, so I I think you know the first thing that comes to mind is what I was just saying about giving somewhat overlooked players a platform to kind of show what they bring to the table in front of these NBA teams, right? Because you know otherwise they might get a handful of workouts here and there where they travel to a team site and work out for one specific team, but you know it's cool to be able to give them a chance to get in front of about 25 NBA teams and uh, 
kind of have that staged in the pre-draft process that maybe they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, another thing that's kind of come to light more so in the past couple of years is now that guys can trust, uh, test the waters and have an agent, um, there's a lot more flexibility in us being able to have underclassmen attend the event and kind of use it as a means to gather as much information as possible to make the best stay or go decision for them. So we've had our handful of underclassmen that come through that, you know, aren't really sure if they're ready to go pro or if going back to school makes sense. And, you know, I really enjoy being able to help them make the best decisions for them and how they end up starting their pro careers. Um, and then from a personal perspective and, you know, self growth within the sphere of talent evaluation, I really appreciate, you know, being able to be up close in person with these uh, prospects, kind of get to know them off the court a little bit, get a feel for like, you know, who they are as people as well. And then also kind of get to grow and develop relationships with the agents of these players, kind of getting to know those guys and uh, the NBA team personnel who are in attendance and everything like that. The relationships is definitely like one of the biggest personal upsides to being involved in the PBC for me. Yeah, one of the things that we obviously talk about a lot on this podcast is um, uh, tracking growth over years on the court. Um, but it, especially with the ability to test the waters now, what you can kind of get into is um, tracking personal growth over years. So are, are there any guys that have been multi-time uh, PBC guys? Or or is it just that you, know, you, you talk to an upperclassman and then he goes back and maybe he doesn't come back to you guys, but you're still in touch and you can see personal growth. Have there been any notable examples of that? Yeah, I mean, the prime example of that, I would say, is a guy that you guys are particularly fond of in uh, Desmond Bain. So Desmond tested the draft waters last year. And, you know, as you guys will probably recall, he wasn't like particularly high on a lot of mainstream uh, draft boards at that time. But, you know, we were pretty excited to have him at the PVC and really liked what he brought to the table from what we saw on film and in the numbers and everything like that. And once he got to the PBC, we became even bigger fans of him kind of based, you know, A, on his performance there. Like he kicked ass at the PBC. He, you know, performed well athletically in all the shooting drills in the scrimmages. He was definitely a standout, but also kind of getting to know him and talk to him and like get an understanding of like, you know, what he was personally going through and making this decision. Right. Like I still... I still remember myself and Jake and Desmond going to In-N-Out Burger uh, after one of the uh, days of the PBC and just like talking through his whole mindset on the decision, right? Because, you know, if you guys recall, TCU wasn't particularly like projected to be a very good team this year, right? A lot of people had them projected to finish last in the Big 12 and you know, Kevin Samuel was like the only kind of main guy coming back for them aside from Desmond, if he were to return. Right. So it's kind of a tricky decision for him where he, you know, he was getting a lot of interest as far as like getting a two way or something. And, you know, that's a perfectly fine avenue for starting your career. If you want to leave as a junior and get a two way and, you know, kind of work your way up from there, make a couple hundred grand off the bat if you play your days up at the NBA. But you know, as we were going back and forth and talking about it, like, you know, in my gut, 
based on me really liking him as a prospect. Like I wanted to, you know, I thought he could do it if he went pro, he could, you know, be perfectly serviceable and cause way up. But like, you know, Desmond got this feedback from these NBA guys, evaluated the situation. And I think a thing that often gets lost is like in these stay or go decisions, the context of like, how your role or opportunity might change the following year is often like the biggest thing and whether you'll actually be able to boost your stock or not. Right. Like you hear guys, you know, some guys in the media saying, Oh, look, if he comes back, then maybe he'll be a first round pick, but there's not a lot of basis to it. A lot of the time with Desmond, um, his teammate, Alex Robinson, who was also a PBC guy who I'm fond of, but, Alex Robinson leaving TCU actually opened things up a lot for Desmond Bain to take on more of an on-ball role and kind of grow and develop like you were alluding to earlier. Um, he, you know, got more of a chance to like run pick and rolls and kind of facilitate offense mm -hmm. for others and like show that he can handle the ball, pass the ball. So Desmond's a guy that I've, you know, kept in touch with here and there. And he's one that the growth particularly stands out and, like he made that decision to return and it was the right decision for him. He's had an awesome senior year and it looks like, you know, his uh, draft status has certainly climbed and he's in a good position right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the decision to, to um, stay in the draft or, or go back to school is it, it's definitely, I think it, it, there's a lot more context that comes into play than, than people give it credit for. So, I mean, like, what what is it? Um, what is it like to be involved in those decisions? What do you take into account um, when sort of advising a guy whether or not it would be beneficial to to stay uh, in school or or, uh, or go pro? Yeah, it's it's kind of tricky. Like, we we try not to get too far into like you know the advising side. Like, we can kind of give our two cents, but oftentimes you know it comes down to them and the agent and the family, but you know, when, when we kick in our input, I think it comes down to like, you know, kind of what I was talking through with Desmond, like what's the context of your return situation from like a team perspective? Like, are you really going to be able to see a major uptick in usage or like, you know, incoming players that kind of meld nicely with what you bring to the table that might open things up for you, right? Like, is that context favorable for you or not? Like, what's your sort of relationship like with the coaching staff? Like, you know, is it a situation that makes sense to go back for you personally? Or, you know, do you have other off-court factors that come into play too, right? Like we recently saw, you know, Isaiah Mike and Xavier Tillman are both guys who uh, were on the PBC remote film room, which we'll get into a little bit later, but both of those guys are fathers, right? So, Sometimes there are other factors to kind of take into account for your stay or go decision where, you know, it might kind of, uh, you know, push you towards starting your career a little bit earlier. And that's OK. Like every player that comes through is unique in their circumstances and kind of just taking into account all those different factors and making the best decision for them is what's most important. So, in you know, like, you know, you know, 
obviously, you know, you're be- being very personal and you know, uh, up close with these players um, in making your decisions, you know, n- not only, you know, watching them, you know, d- deciding which players, you know, have at PBC, but, you know, watching them perform at PBC and, you know, uh, eventually like giving them some, some sort of advice and building relationships, you know, you know, on your side of things, what, like, what have you learned, you know, from doing all of, from your like direct involvement with, with these players at PBC, you know, like as a scout, as like an evaluator, as, as just a person, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely has helped give me a sense of like what teams tend to value with these fringe guys, right? Like the background and intel side is definitely really important there. Like you, you know, you get a feel for like if a guy is, you know, not a bona fide like stud prospect that's, you know, going to go in the first round, like oftentimes they really need to kind of have everything buttoned up off the court, right? Like you don't want any other red flags popping up like that can totally derail your opportunity because like if you're already, you know, kind of a fringe prospect in the NBA's eyes, if you have any extra baggage coming with, then, you know, that's gonna kind of derail you. Also, you kind of get a feel for like, uh, you know, certain things like if you're a small mid-major guard, like, it's going to be an uphill battle, right? If you're an undersized mid-major guard, even if like you show out and kick ass, like in that kind of setting, like you're starting from a really tough spot because there's a, you know, inherent bias against small guards who play in small conferences. And that is not without reason, but like it's tricky, right? So you, you, you kind of start to learn those kind of things and uh, kind of get, also a better understanding of the extent with which like agency plays a huge role in a lot of uh, this stuff, right? Like once you get past the first round, like, you know, there's a lot that comes into play with like, you know, this agent or this agency has a good relationship with this team, uh, this G league team, this overseas team. And like, you know, sometimes that in and of itself can kind of help, you know, get the foot in the door, uh, for some players here and there, right? And uh, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes there with the agency side of things than I think uh, than I think I had an understanding of before, you know, going into the PBC and getting involved. And I definitely like value having gained a better understanding of that side of the business because it is pretty important, but it's not something that like uh, most people have that much exposure to you know i think that's a worthwhile point because um i mean you you i think people generally are kind of inclined to think that the draft is maybe i mean there's some variance with how how different teams different people evaluate different players but i think some people definitely think or or maybe most think that it's more or less, you know, the 60 most talented guys are going to, are going to be drafted, but there really is, there are so many more factors that go into that, whether it's just, I mean, especially when you get beyond say the 45th pick or something like that, is is someone willing to take a two way? What's the relationship with the agent? Um, What, uh, you know, how, how do they fit into the organizational ethos? And so people will bring in, bring up things like, you know, it's, it's insane that Terrence Davis went undrafted. And that's certainly true. Like it is insane that Terrence Davis went undrafted and he should have, I mean, probably been a first round pick. That's the exact example that I was thinking of as you started talking through that. But yeah, but you know, he could have been drafted. It's not like, it's not like 
all 30 teams thought Terrence, Terrence Davis was an undraftable player. Right. He wouldn't commit at, at to a, a two-way. Exactly. Like, and he bet on himself and it worked out, right? Yeah, like and his out. agent yeah. probably advised him to do so. And that was the right decision. So that that's a great example that you brought up. And I think that, you know, hits the nail on the head as far as like the point earlier about everyone's path being different, like, and, and the agency point, like, you know, there's a lot of things that go into this and it's not always the 60 yeah. best guys for sure. And that, doesn't, that doesn't even touch on things like promises and, you know, it's like guys going, you know, to teams, maybe, you know, specifically having relationships with players that like th- that they want to draft or not. And, you know, th- I mean, there's just so much behind the scenes yeah. that, you know, people like, like Max and I, um, you know, a- and most of, you know, the amateur draft enthusiasts, you know, can't really have access to. And therefore, you know, you know, just like that's another factor that, you know, like you have to parse in because it matters, but like it's just not one that, you know, we can really have access to it and, you know, think, think of, but, but, you know, it, it it's good to understand, you know, just how important that is to, you know, two teams who are actually, you know, making decisions uh, to, within the context of the draft. So Yeah, for sure. And like that, you know, I'm not going to come out here and say I'm like super plugged into everything. Right. But like just getting some surface level like understanding of how some of that stuff works and like getting to know some of these agents, especially like the kind of mid-market agents, like gives you a better feel for like some of that kind of, uh, you know, less obvious stuff that's kind of working behind the scenes. And that's something that I would probably advise to, you know, anybody who's like, you know, really into the draft or like trying to kind of figure out their way Uh, into eventually working in this space and like it seems like you Ben have uh, you know started to develop some of those relationships and like some of your pieces that you're putting out lately like you those have been really awesome some of these kind of like guys that are likely to end up in the G League or uh, overseas or whatever like you know getting to know those players getting to know their agents like that stuff's all really good and you know as a writer you know that that behind the scenes stuff, like a lot of people might not, you know, get that sort of access or build those sort of relationships. But if anybody is out there that's like trying to navigate this space, I would advise, you know, at least trying to dip your toes into those waters and get to know some of those people because it will help you become a more kind of well-rounded like NBA draft evaluator, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Moving back to the to the on-court product, one of the things that's most interesting to me with uh, really any any sort of combine uh, are the scrimmages. And I think that like often people will actually try to de-emphasize scrimmages because they're weird contexts. But I, I don't I mean, obviously, no one should ever put too much stock in, in something like that. But they do represent a different and um, I think valuable evaluative context so what what do you think has stood out to you john about um you know what you've been able to take away from scrimmages as opposed to just watching film from a guy's college or international team yeah so like you know at the pbc getting the getting the measurements and getting the you know combine testing and stuff is great right like that teams love that stuff people love seeing the wingspan differential people love seeing like all that good stuff, it matters, right? But then the scrimmages themselves, I think it's good for kind of like that context stuff that we were speaking to earlier on the stay or go decisions, like like how certain college programs and schemes could impact like 
you know, a person's ability to kind of show, you know, the full extent of what they bring to the table or things like that, you kind of get to like wipe a lot of that away and kind of see a player in a, a little bit of a less structured environment around similarly talented peers in a kind of hyper competitive setting where they're trying to like, you know, show out in front of NBA uh, front office staff and personnel. Right. So that, that, that context right there is just really good to see like, you know, someone like Isaiah Reese who played at Canisius, right. He came in and, you know, you don't know what to expect when I used to have a guy from one of those conferences who, who has shown some flashes and been pretty intriguing. Like you don't totally know what to expect when you get him surrounded by, you know, guys who went to Texas and guys who went to like all these kind of high major prominent schools, like how they're going to perform in that setting, like both with their teammates that are similarly talented and against other guys that are similarly talented. And uh, so Isaiah Reese, for example, uh, I think he was the player of the day, one of the two days there. And uh, Ben, you were there. He he hit like nine threes in a scrimmage and like was uber confident, hitting like crazy pull-ups, off-movement shots, just like looked so comfortable in that environment, right? And, you know, that's, you know, it's a small sample size, Max, like what you were saying earlier. You can't put too much emphasis on it. It's not like you see that happen and you're like, oh, Isaiah Reese, first-round pick. But it does make you a little bit, more comfortable that, okay, like this guy is leaving as an underclassman. What's going on there? He plays at Canisius. Like, you know, how do I, you know, evaluate, you know, contextualize that evaluation amongst other high major guys and stuff. And you see him out there looking so comfortable and confident that makes you a little bit more comfortable in, you know, giving him an X and bringing him onto your G league team and knowing that, maybe there is some upside for him down the line, right? I think that's where the scrimmages are the most valuable. And one more example I would say is uh, Kenny Williams from UNC was also just a really high performer at last year's PBC in a similar fashion where, you know, major role player at UNC, like low usage guy, crazy defender, right? But like you got to see him outside of that context as well and see a little bit more of what he could do offensively. It's just good to see, see guys in another light in these scrimmages, you know? Yeah. I was just Googling Isaiah Reese's numbers quickly to reference them. Yeah. That's, that's the exact example I was thinking of before we even brought him brought up. I mean, Isaiah Reese um, at Canisius, you know, more of like a crafty on ball, like, like not the greatest athlete, someone who's like a really crafty passer and like finisher and driver, but like not like a crazy volume difficulty shooter. And like you said, like hit nine threes during the three v three. I think it was uh, on day two of the PBC and really showed out. So you, though, like you said, small like echoing the small sample, but also echoing that, you know, seeing these guys in a context that that's not their team context. You know, with, with the team context, there's so many things that we can't that like an outsider cannot know. Like what are they allowed and not allowed to do? You know, sure, based on yeah. based on their scheme, like like you know, Isaiah Reese likely not the shooter that he was the PBC, but you know, is it possible that you know his his green light was was not as green at Canisius? I mean, sure, that's absolutely possible that you know he just wasn't placed in in that position to shoot, you know, or, or, or do some of the things, you know, and like Kenny Williams, someone who you know at, at UNC just you know with with other talented players on the floor was never a guy who really needed to shoot the ball or you know, do, do any of his own offense and then someone who was able to do that. So just, just looking for, looking for those differences, um, you know, like Max and I talk about 
different like evaluating prospects in different contexts all the time uh, on this show and you know n- normally we're just talking about like different you know like like AU versus high school versus versus college versus international you know I I think adding like combine settings uh, is really legitimate because it's just like the inherent lack of structure I think you know, can be a tell for like, you know, some of these guys who maybe you're like high feel or, you know, like high IQ or just like, a, just like in like a less nebulous sense, you know, have the ability to adapt. Yeah, to exactly. To adapt to an unstructured situation and thrive there, you know, like, like, like make decisions on the fly, you know, like, like there's no set plays to run, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're just reading, reacting, playing. And one more point I'd like to make um, about, you know, this scrimmage and I, I I think it's really telling, you know, to see which guys, you know, like the intensity that some guys play with versus yeah. other guys. Um, I have a memory uh, from last year at PBC. Um, this is this was after I I switched to the right side because for the first like hour I was there, I accidentally sat with the NBA scouts, and I'm gonna <laughs> say that I was manifesting a dream into reality there. But <laughs> no, no, yeah. that was that was good stuff. I feel like I remember looking across the court and seeing you like flopped right in the middle over there and being like, "Oh man, See, this, guy, point, this guy I, is plugged in now." <laughs> <laughs> there was a point where I was like, where I realized like. Yeah, I'm I'm in the wrong place, but was also too petrified to move <laughs> until 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 a friend of the program Zach Milner came and saved me. Um, but yeah, but my point, you know, remember what what's his name? Uh, Dante Carruthers, yeah, uh, Buffalo guy. You know, just like he like his energy and like like just on both ends was like head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, and you know, I like th- there were other guys who you know I, I I won't name or don't or genuinely don't remember that you know just, just like didn't play with even close to that same level of energy yeah. and intensity. And I think you know like that's probably like like things like motor and that probably get overlooked you know just in like in game scouting, but especially in these like scrimmages when you know there there should be no reason not to you know give everything is something important is something worth like considering. Right. Yeah. I just like like seeing how these guys react to the situation and like like do you bring it like are you gonna like show that you give like a thousand percent as you know knowing the cliche cl- cliche that is it's it's, it's true like you yeah. know seeing which which guys you know like 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 stand above like this competition level which is really cool especially for like the the, the low and the low and mid-major guys but you know have you know outside of maybe like one one or two high major games on their schedule haven't right. like played against anyone notable so for sure yeah i mean i think the yeah dante carruthers was insane like he was next level like uh, yeah. i'm probably not even allowed to say own. what he was saying on on yeah, this podcast but he yeah. was awesome yeah i love that I have guy. A video on my phone of him <laughs> just like talking all of the trash you know on defense which is like i said i don't want to you know i don't even think i don't know if we can repeat the things you know he'd say on the right. court but you know like like it's great to see from an intensity perspective like just to, like just to show how much they care you know about defense and like yeah. how much they want it yeah like, and like that was his rep but i think you know that was his rep coming in but like you know not the most well-known guy coming into the combine so for him to be like five feet away from some scouts for some g-league teams and nba teams and like put on that intensity at, at least like 
piqued some of those guys' interest. In yeah, that's a quality trait. That, yeah. like, especially, you know, for like a 10th, 11th man, you know, like, like, like something we don't think about is like, is like, like even just like for practice, like these are the type of guys that teams are going to want to acquire just like to challenge the guys who are going to play, you know, in practice every day, you know, like get, get guys who care and like get guys who work, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, when we're scouting and like evaluating prospects, you know, thinking about the guys who aren't going to play helping the other guys is like a thing we never think about. Yeah. Like it, it's certainly a team that like a thing that teams will consider. So. Yeah. It matters. I mean, that's like, it's the rookie or, you know, young guy version of like having a, you know, Jared Dudley on your team, right? Like the smart vet, like you're adding value to the overall teams, like, day-to-day without necessarily being on the court all the time right like if you have a rookie or a young guy that comes in and just like brings that intensity like there's definitely something to be said for that and I mean I think you know the work ethic side I think all of that is what you're seeing with like Chris Silva um, earning a roster spot with the Heat right like he was at the PBC um, you know goes undrafted but you know that guy works his ass off is physical. I mean, you see it every time he's on the court, he's like battling people for offensive rebounds, like going to the floor, blocking shots, like, you you know, and that, that comes across in these kind of environments and can be really helpful for kind of, uh, you know, a team kind of keeping tabs on you and keeping you in mind, whether it's immediately that year or like just having you in mind for down the line, bringing you up from the G league or something like that. Yeah, the thing Ben was getting at earlier is is definitely um, the most appealing aspect of a scrimmage to me is that you could, that it's like a hundred percent instincts. Like there there are no set plays, nothing. You're playing with teammates that you've probably never played with before, um, so it really is just like isolating instincts in a way that's very cool uh, that you don't really get to see you don't really get to see skills that you're evaluating isolated like that. But th- there's also the aspect of like. It's, I think it's one thing to be demonstrating like leadership and camaraderie, go pick up teammate up when they're down, you know, with, with guys that you've been playing with for maybe two years that you're really close with that are your very like good personal friends. But if you're running across the court to go pick someone up that you met two hours ago, um, I think that demonstrates a di- like a different level of character of just a way, a way that you, you know, care about fitting into a team. Um, that is just something that organizations, I think, want. And it's something that you can see in that sort of setting, as well as like seeing defensive community, seeing and hearing defensive communication in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see that, that fits into that instinctual element as well. Um, it's just, I think there are a lot of benefits to scrimmages that really kind of get dismissed because it's not necessarily the best quality basketball. It's not the most polished basketball, but that doesn't mean that it's without value. And with a 3v3, like it is at PBC, I mean, like, it, it, I mean, I, I think of like, like Portsmouth as like in a similar context though like even that is like far more structured in terms of like real actual basketball than you know PBC because you know Portsmouth is five on fives and the teams have like sometimes you know know, to to practice together PBC is really just 3v3 into the fire you know I I think that the 3v3 is interesting you know as opposed to having a five on five scrimmage you know like as we talked about uh, a while back with TJ you know like kind of like like bending the typical rules of a basketball right. game to, to challenge a player's, you know, the challenge a player's like instincts and IQ and, you know, ability to adapt, you know, like th- that's valuable. And whether or not maybe like teams are conscious of that in the moment, I, I think it's probably a thing that, you know, you, you have to think about, you know, like, like these players who can really like step up and, you know, like, 
like I, I think less about the guys who were just like isolating and and scoring you know tough shots every time because you know players who do that can also do that in five on five and one on one. Yeah, you know players who can really like play within a three on three. I think is, is something that's really impressive to me. And and like, like 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 one of the guys I think of, you know, like you mentioned Alex Robinson earlier. Like that's a guy who did that. Like yeah, like, like he was communicating, making plays like on making plays on the ball, like moving off the ball. Like I I remember that. Yeah, and that. I think that's just like speaks to his, you know, intelligence and, you know, like ability to operate as a floor general, like in, in every sense. Right. And that was his rep coming in too. Right. But exactly what you're saying, like he's never played with any of these guys except for Desmond and he wasn't on Desmond's team in that setting. Right. So his ability to, you know, the adaptability that you were talking about to be able to like pick up any situation and immediately be that guy that's like directing traffic and like, you know, helping guide your team to success, like that's super valuable. And like, we're, you know, all this stuff all sounds like just kind of soft skill, like type things that, you know, a lot of times in our evaluation of prospects, we're spending a lot of our time really digging into the numbers, digging into the film. But this is like the side of things that gets lost a lot of the times. And obviously you need to play, right? Like that, the skill, the talent, all that stuff like comes first. But if you, yeah, I think the scrimmages definitely bring this stuff to the forefront and it definitely is important, especially for rookies trying to like navigate the starts of their careers. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. BetOnline, your your online wagering experts. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing you can control and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. So now let's move on to kind of the opposite of these scrimmages. Um, I guess in in the wake of the entire world shutting down, um, it, it's kind of hard to host a combine, which is a, a large gathering of people from all over. Pretty pretty uh, tough. Pretty tough. Yeah. Let me tell you. But but you guys have have pivoted very well to uh, remote film rooms, sim- similar to what um, Mike Schmitz has been doing with with ESPN. But I think your volume of them is a lot higher, um, and I think they're, they're probably a little more tailored to to the draft nerds. Uh, but you've done you've done a spectacular job with them, and we've shouted them out before on on the on the podcast because they really are uh, they're must watch. 
Um, so what what have you learned from from doing these film rooms with prospects? Like what what do you think um, you've gained uh, as like in, insight into evaluating some of these guys from from breaking down film with them? Yeah. So first of all, appreciate the support. Appreciate you watching them. Uh, you know that was something definitely new for me. But once you know, once the pandemic started, and uh, you know, you know, one of the first things that you know after the obvious things that you think of, like you know, all of us are obsessed with basketball, and I obviously thought, like, what is this going to mean for the pre-draft process? What's it going to mean for the PBC? All of that, and so you know, started thinking what I could do to kind of fill the void. And I remember like kicking the idea around, playing around with some different softwares and stuff, trying, testing it out with Jake, seeing what we could do. And then like, I was supposed to film with Desmond Bain the next day. And then Mike Schmitz releases a teaser for his thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like uh, now I got to compete with Schmitz. But no, I mean, I think it works it works perfectly, right? Like similar to the NBA combine and the PBC, like both are serving their purpose. Like Mike Schmitz, he's awesome at these things and he gets these lottery level guys and first round guys to come on. I take the guys that are more, you know, second round, fringe first round, two-way type guys, overseas guys. And it's been a really good experience. And, uh, you know, I think that it's really useful to like, you know, this is a thing that's different than the things we were talking about with being at the PBC and the value that can be attained from that kind of stuff. I think it's really valuable to like go through film with players and kind of hear them express like, you know, how they make reads and how they think about different situations, how they react to different situations, like why they did a certain thing the way they did it. Like I, I figured that that would be pretty interesting, but then when you like do it for like 35 different players, like seeing the stark variances from player to player and like how they approach things, the extent with which they value film, like, like what they've been taught to do in certain situations by their coaches, like what their gut instincts are, like all that stuff has been really interesting and really valuable. I think Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then again, on like the Intel side and everything, like you get a feel for the person, you get a feel for their personality, you get a feel for, you know, some guys are like super buttoned up and sharp and like good communicators and, uh, you know, are right on time or are early for the film sessions versus other ones. You have to, you know, reschedule a bunch or they're late or leave you hanging. Like you get, you get a feel for like what these guys are like off the court and like what they'd be like to deal with as a front office or a coach or something like that. And uh, you know, so it's, it's again, like a kind of unique situation with COVID, but being able to jump in and do these with all these players, I'm like really grateful that, you know, they've been willing to put themselves out there in this kind of setting. And definitely I think it's been a valuable experience both for myself and for the players. Yeah, and I think just, you know, the, the, the thing for me that I take away the most is definitely what you're talking about, you know, watching, you know, especially, you know, I, 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 it's just fun for all these players, definitely like the very like IQ feel heavy type of players where you're just like getting insights into like how they think the game, the way they think. I, I, I remember last year, like Cole, Cole's Wicker, 
um, had a piece about Grant Williams basically like foreshadowing the need for like these film rooms and like gosh what I would do to have one of these with with Grant Williams um but Grant, like Grant come on prep to pro challenge Grant please come on prep to pro challenge yeah uh, but, but but I mean like, like he talked about you know just like like is this incredible pass on was that instinct was that a coverage that they saw on film that they're reacting to was it a coverage that they saw earlier in the game they're reacting to was was it an accident like like there's no way to really know without without being in their minds and like this is like a really rare opportunity to to be in the minds of these players and you know like you know you see oh, oh maybe that kick to the short roll was installed in the scheme or maybe it was totally freelance and i think you know, like that that's like a tangible thing you can take away as like an outside evaluator like like you know just understanding to what level these guys are really as instinctual we think they are oh we think they are or think they aren't on, on when we're independently watching on film because like, again like there's holes in their brain you know, we think we're good at, you know, understanding the, the function of a guy's instincts, but truly it's impossible to know, know, know the full extent of it without, you know, being inside of their head. You know, be, being able to do that is super cool and, and super, super valuable and just, and just so much fun to watch. Like, it's so entertaining. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like a lot of these plays, you know, people who know basketball, you can kind of decipher what's happening to see what's happening off ball and like, you can kind of anticipate, you know, what the player is probably going to say when you present them with a, a certain um, a certain play in these film rooms, right? But like sometimes they'll their depth of to which they'll explain it or like will be even more robust than you could have imagined, or maybe there was something else that like I didn't notice in it when I, you know, when we decided to include the play. And it's just really cool to have that back and forth and like really get a feel for like the extent with which these guys are students of the game and like the extent with which most of them are like really good dudes. Like the, I mean, I've been really uh, impressed with a lot of these guys. Like they're, a lot of them are really smart, sharp, like polite, nice young dudes. And like, I'm excited for them to start all of their professional careers. Like, uh, you know, it's just really cool to see like how excited these guys are to like, kickstart everything even in these like unique circumstances like we'll definitely be rooting for these guys that have come on and like uh mm -hmm. been vulnerable in that setting and mm -hmm. like uh talked through everything with me <laughs> and quickly you know just you know we're going to talk more about specific guys um in a bit but, like the point you made about you know noticing things that like you didn't even notice on on the clip is is fascinating to me and like one of my favorite parts of watching these because you know like a, a lot of the times you know i will have seen these games and these clips before and remember these plays uh but then like you know, the one i think about we're going to talk about this guy later uh, uh freddie gillespie um out, out of baylor yeah um who like his, his film room was one of my favorites he like early you had i think one of the, the first play you had i watched this morning as a refresher so i should know this at the beginning of the gillespie one i think the first play you guys showed was like an empty side pick and roll where where he set a screen with with like the three on the weak side and, and dunked yeah. it or whatever and, and then like like there was a play later where it was the same setup on the weak side but the focus wasn't on the screening it was on like his mid-range shooting right but, you know but, you know freddie mentioned that he was like oh i wish jared butler would have um, use the screen so, so I could roll and dunk because it was yeah. the same setup. And like that, that was the thing that I like did not notice despite right. having like, like like not only watched the beginning of the film room, but like, having seen that game myself. 
and like it's just such a cool you know like learning like like not only like learning about these players but like learning from them like, like yeah like 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 improving your own eyes like such such a valuable and, and cool thing like to me it's awesome and yeah. with, with Freddie in particular, because um, I watched that one last night and I messaged you guys after and said that I, I would die for Freddie Glassby <laughs> after, after watching that film room because he, he was so like charismatic and intelligent. Um, but the, like there was a there was a possession where he was posting up and uh, they sent like a, a stunt at him, basically. And um, he I think he discontinued his dribble and kind of panicked and threw it away. And immediately he's just like, well, I, I should have just recognized that that wasn't even a hard double coming to me. They were just stunting at me. Right. I should have just ignored it. Um, and then he went into all the different things that he could have done that he could have yeah. pass faked and, and hit and hit a cutter. Like the, there were just so many things going through his mind that he was, he was very um, self-critical in right. a constructive way. Um, that was really impressive. And yeah, just really, really aware um, and I just found him to be so impressive in his confidence and self-awareness that he right. is like, was like very confident in his ability to, to fill a particular role, but w- like, wasn't delusional. Like didn't think that he was right. some on-ball creator. Like he, he knows exactly what he is and is very confident in his ability to do that. And I, I think that that's something that's obviously invaluable to have as a role player. Um, the other thing with him is, is that I think he offered some, some insight into their scheme that is like it's the one thing that i think is most difficult about being like an outside amateur evaluator is that you don't know what someone is actually being asked to do like right. the, the holy grail for a, a draft twitter person i think would be to have a description for every single possession ever played of what a guy was supposed to do right because everything that you're doing when evaluating that is you're making inferences about what a guy was probably supposed to do yeah but i mean like to, to give a concrete example, like Villanova, their defense is very conservative. They don't bring a lot of help. Like everyone stays kind of stapled to their man. And so there are tons of instances when you're watching Villanova that you, you I at least I would want Sadiq Bey to stunt or dig or something like that. And he doesn't do anything to impact uh, a, a ball handler while he's playing off the ball. But that's not really his fault. Like yeah. he's not being told to do that. And so have, you know, on a play-by-play basis, being able to have something like that cleared up that – I think Freddie in particular mentioned like he was told as, as the big man, as a help defender to just like, go get the ball, always go get the ball. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I wouldn't necessarily say to do that. Like if a guy is, is kind of has a man, his man on his hip and is coming down the lane and you can maybe stunt at him and, and he'll shoot a kind of tough floater as opposed to getting all the way to the rim. And then maybe you have a, a, your own man is, is not, is not boxed out. If you then go to, to heavily contest that, um, you know, I, I would probably want someone to stunt and force the floater, but if that's not what he's being told to do, that's not that's not really his fault. It's hard to knock him for that. So knowing that sort of thing is really valuable. And since you're not going to have, you know, some holy grail where you're where you're told what a guy was supposed to do on every single possession, having a player there who can explain why he took the actions that he took is really like of incredible value um, to just getting a, a complete picture when you necessarily have incomplete information. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Freddie certainly stood out in that regard, right? Like he pretty much every play was able to rattle off like multiple elements that led to certain, you know, things being available or to your point, like what he maybe could have done better. Like some, you know, most guys have been pretty good about this, but you know, some guys can freeze up a little bit when you're going through like a negative play or something, whereas others are like, 
you know, oh, I remember that from uh, watching film during the year. Or I remember coach getting on me about that. And, you know, this, this, and this is what I could have done better. And like, that's something that I am working on right now during my pre-draft process to try to improve yeah. X, Y, and Z. Like the guys that have that kind of mentality, like that really stands out to me a lot. And, you know, when I have some discussions with like NBA teams about my impressions of some of these players, like the ones that are able to you know, express themselves like that, <clears throat> have that self-awareness and, you know, <clears throat> have a really good understanding of the role that they theoretically could fill at the next level. Like that goes, you know, so far for me and, and yeah. like, you know, projecting them going forward. That's like a key element versus somebody who has some sort of like misguided or warped view of like, you know, where they could potentially add value or what they bring to the table or what their role is. Right. And, uh, Freddie, um, he, I, I remember him saying, uh, I'm not a low maintenance guy. I'm a no maintenance guy. And I, I was joking with him, like after the fact about that, like we got to get that on a t-shirt or something. We got to get that branded. And then he went on and did an interview with Vicini recently and he said the same thing. So that's the, <laughs> That's the Freddie Gillespie brand going forward. Not a low maintenance guy, a no maintenance guy. And I believe yeah. him. Yeah. I think that like, makes a really interesting point about, you know, like uh, uh, just another value of, of these film rooms is like getting an inside, inside, like, like an inside look into like the work ethic of some of these guys. Um, and that's like, like, like work ethic is one of like one of, if not the most important factor in prospect in player development that we have, that we can pretty much get no idea um, outside of like stories we hear from people. Um, but outside of that, it's, it's really impossible to know what a guy's work ethic is without, well, you know, I, I think it's even more valuable that, that, than talking to them because, you know, a, a guy can easily tell you that, you know, he has an awesome work ethic and give you examples of how he works. But, you know, it, like it, it, if a prospect can prove that by like proving that like they've watched this film and they know what's coming and like that they've seen this play before and they've thought about this play and they've like been critical with themselves about, all right, like what does this play mean for me and how can I learn from it? Like that's, that's the thing that matters to me as like an evaluator. I mean, like, like I'll, we'll just stay on the, like, I'll just keep talking about Freddie Gillespie. Like clearly, cl clearly someone who has like watched that film before yeah. and like understands like what, un and like watched it, understands what he's seeing and like understands like, what it means and i think like like not like not every pbc like film room guy is like that i mean like nah, yeah. i mean i mean like john said like like you said john like 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 many of them are like very impressive mm -hmm. come up as very intelligent and, and very well learned and and we have watched them but there are some that like like it's it seems like much more than others that you know either like they didn't know what the play was beforehand yeah they like didn't there's have that much insight yeah there's um, some but, that like i kind of would have to like guide a little bit through it or kind of prompt to you know what maybe to address about the play for sure like and yeah. you know i'd say on the whole i've been super impressed but yeah you you can tell if you yeah. watch through the entire array of them like yeah. you know who's really on it and who's sharp and who like really values film study like it definitely stands out yeah and you yeah, know I mean, what well, one more thing that i definitely have uh appreciated throughout the process is if even if it's like a positive play like a positive outcome of a play some guys still talk you through the full process of what's going on and and like 
you know, what other options might have been available to them if the defense had reacted differently. Like if, if someone's running a pick and roll and like, uh, you know, they end up making a skip to the weak side uh, based on an overhelp or something, they're also kind of like pointing out like X, Y, and Z other things that are happening in the play. And maybe if this guy, you know, would not have tagged the role man, then I would have found this guy over here. Like, you know, kind of like, laying out the array of options on a given play, even though they ended it with a positive outcome, I think is particularly interesting and shows like the depth with which they understand the game. Yeah. It's and, uh, Desmond Bing. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> because um, yeah, it was it, with him. It was cool because it, it really was, you were getting into his whole decision-making process. Cause this is, this is the key variable that I'm looking at in this situation and here, here is the consequence of what I see, and you know, and also addressing the counterfactual there. So I, I thought that, that that was a really cool way of of really getting into the, to um, his decision making process. And honestly, throughout all, like all of the the film rooms with all of these guys, I I do find it their their recollection is incredible. Like the the way that they can get back into their own thought process and tell you what they were thinking, what they were seeing is really yeah. impressive. Um, and it just like speaks to the, the just incredibly high level of, of uh, uh, pattern recognition and whatnot that, that these guys have um, to be your know, decision makers that are, that are thriving at the NCAA level. Yeah. And sometimes on the negative plays, like at the outset of a negative play before you can even tell, like when we're going through like the improvement areas or whatever, like, seeing a guy's reaction before the play even gets started, he'll like cover his face up or put his hands on his head. Like he, he knows that he's about to do something not so good. Like these guys, they all have like pretty good attitudes about it though. And are like pretty mostly self-reflective and like can recall plays pretty well and like how to best, you know, learn from it and move forward. Yeah, and I mean, frankly, just being willing to go on something like this is is a good sign as to a guy's character. The fact that at, at some level they're willing to uh, try to learn from from the, the past to study their film. Um, I mean, yeah, like like at the start of Freddie Gillespie's, there there's a, a moment that sticks out to me where he he he's like, yeah, the, the whole quarantine process has not been fun and it hasn't been for anyone. But if you, it's been a great opportunity to watch film, and if you yeah. haven't been watching film, you've been wasting this. Right. And I, I think that that's a really like very positive approach, obviously, to be taken to a, a, a tough situation. Is that this is something I wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to not really play basketball and just study a lot of film, and now I'm going to capitalize on this weird situation and, and turn it into a positive. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think the the teams, you know, the teams in the NBA that are doing their due diligence, like, will they'll find all that out. Like, they'll know which players have been making the most of, like, a very unfamiliar landscape. And I think that, again, circles back to the adaptability point that we hit on earlier, right? Like, whoever's the most adaptable, I think, is really going to shine through in this rookie class. Yeah, and I think, you know, one more point on, on Freddie Gillespie here. Um, this is quickly turning into the Freddie Gillespie episode, but that's okay. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned earlier uh, about prompting the prompt some guys. Um, I think it's really fun when guys kind of, like, prompt you yes. um, and, and, like, reverse it. I, I remember one one of the Freddie Gillespie, 
like, like at one point in the Gillespie one, you, you were going through like his offensive rebounding, and you had like like you finished what you had to say, and you had an extra clip of an offensive rebound, and you know you're like, oh, here's one more offensive rebound, and then he like unprompted dives into like what he was thinking there and yeah. like, what move. I think it was like the one against TCU where he had like a lefty putback. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, he, like he goes into the like, like, oh, like, like why he didn't pass it out, why he decided to shoot there, like how he did that, and like you didn't even ask him to do that, like, like you were just ready to transition to the next thing. Yeah, like, he went, out, he went out of his way to like you know go through his thought process, you know, you know what he did well, uh, what he could have done better in that situation, and he like like speaks to me as someone who like truly like 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 not only like understands the value of film and is like a hard worker but like enjoys it and like enjoys learning about like himself and the game of basketball which you know is obviously you know very positive thing for you know especially a role player and like a guy who's going to be like a positive locker room presence you know you know be enthusiastic about that about those kind of things you know on like that could be more monotonous on like a day-to-day basis for sure and those are some of my favorite uh film rooms are the ones where i can kind of like put it on cruise control and like know that the player is like I'm not going to have to prompt them on anything. Like the the ones that really know what's going on, like you know, just goes to the next clip and they immediately start diving into what they're thinking. Like you can tell these guys just like love it. So those are those are definitely my favorites and Freddie was definitely one of those. Yeah, on the topic of offensive rebounding, um <laughs> we I think we do have to go to to podcast favorite Nate Hinton. Um because I if you talk about getting into thought process, this one was really fascinating to me because I think that rebounding is, it's often not given much attention. And I think that that's, that's honestly fair sometimes, except in the case of guys who are exceptional, like Nate Hinton. Um, and so learning about his thought process of knowing teammate tendencies as a way to, yeah. so he's not just reading the ball. He's reading that, okay, this is my teammate who's a very good shooter. So it's not going to be a left, right miss. And right. it's early in the game. He's going to have fresh legs. So he's probably not going to miss short. So I'm going to get a jump on this because I know, because I am so well informed and so quickly able to process all of this information and make a decision based on it that it's not just that Nate Hinton is a crazy motor, that he's very long, that he's like a good vertical leaper and very strong. All of those things matter, but it's also that he, his thought process on it is very intricate. Um, And I thought that was a really cool thing to see. Yeah. And I think, I think that kind of becomes second nature for him after a while. Like he, he expressed it to us there, but I think he's just like so quickly processing all of that as plays are happening. And to be able to like, think that quickly on your feet and then kind of act on it physically and like be so like assertive and aggressive and go high point the ball and like fight for position for a guy who's like six, five is just insanely impressive. Like Nate Hinton is the man. I love that dude. He's like very, very fun to talk basketball with. And, you know, he's also got like the little bit of a little Southern, uh, accent going on there so he's got the you know he's just like a very endearing guy like I really enjoyed speaking with him and like uh what the one part that stood out to me is when he was like uh coming in from the help side um against Washington they tried lobbing it into the paint to Isaiah Stewart and he's like uh you know he got up there and got the ball and like pulled it away from Stewart and when he was describing it he's like 
uh, you know, the, uh, the scouting report, Isaiah Stewart, he's a man child. And uh, we knew on the scouting report, we didn't want to wrestle with him. I was just dying, man. Like that, he's just like a super funny, cool dude that like, you know, he's a guy that like, I run a super thorough analysis uh, before the season for identifying potential rising sophomores that could warrant early entry into the draft that are like, you know, outside the consensus top 60 or whatever. And Hinton was a guy who popped on that. And he, you know, he just really, really impressed, man. That guy, like you can tell he cares. And to the self-awareness point that we were talking about earlier, like he was one of the ones that definitely stood out to me in that regard. And that he's saying like, you know, I don't need the ball. I don't need a high usage role. Like I don't, I don't care like what my minute load is. Like I am willing to come in and play really hard, knock down some corner threes, catch and shoot threes, hit the glass and just defend my ass off. And like, that is his, you know, projectable role. And he is like aware of that. And, and he's happy with that. Like he's not trying to be something that he's not, he's trying to like master his role, which I think is, you know, something like that he should be proud of that he is like, taking this leap. A lot of people didn't expect him to enter the draft, but he's entering it with a good mindset, knowing who he is and what he brings to the table. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you tabbed him as a, a potential uh, breakout guy. Cause he, he was one of my guys as well. I think I, I maybe even had him, had him too high. I had him like top 35 coming into the year or something like that. I but too, I, I think too. Yeah. I mean, I've got him in it. I think in that range still, um, I, we're, we're very big Nate Hinton fans. I mean, if you, um, if you believe that he's going to stick, then having him top 35 is reasonable, right? Like if you yeah. just think how many guys actually end up sticking out of any given draft class, that's not crazy, right? Like I, yeah. you know, that that's higher than most would have him. And I like, I understand both sides of the coin, but like, if you believe that he's going to stick, then that's, that's not crazy, crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. something, something we've talked about with him in the past is that I think the rebounding actually does matter because, and, and it's something that he got at on, on this, uh, on the film room that he thinks he can defend one through four. And part of that with, with the four part is, is that he can credibly like rebound as well. Yeah. Um, and just with, with his, his size, strength and instincts um, and especially instincts really, really like shined through with him on this, that, that, he he described a lot of the crazy off-ball defense plays that he made as instincts. Instincts just kicked in, and you totally yeah. see that with him. That that he is a highly instinctual player. Uh, so it was very cool to have that confirmed. But but yeah, I think that he has a very good grasp of who he is. Um, which, which you know, as a guy who's six five, uh, and ostensibly a guard, maybe the expectation would be that he's some sort of creator. But that's not who he is. He's he's an awesome player in spite of that but he's not you know your normal six five guard necessarily right um yeah so i the one one more thing that i found really interesting with him was that he said that coming into houston his he's really comfortable with on ball defense but he was still kind of learning how to play off the ball yeah uh and that that's a fascinating thing to me because i think of him as such a good off ball defensive player right. and the fact that right now to him i guess that's that's really just playing off instincts and that he's still learning to do that is kind of terrifying to think yeah. yeah it's kind of terrifying to think what he could be um because he he is a really really high impact uh guard wing off ball defender yeah for sure and like you never know like i i can't recall offhand what high school he went to or anything but like you never know like what 
what a high school program is preaching on defense or if they're teaching like very sound off ball principles or anything. So maybe he wasn't really that exposed to it when he was young, but like he just kind of has good instincts baseline and didn't even realize that till he got to Houston and like the uh, program was really harping on it. And then he kind of took it to heart even more. Right. But you know, it's good to know that a guy has good instincts and that he's able to like build upon them. That's something so you know, uh, about all of these guys with, you know, all these these young prospects, freshmen, sophomores with with the awesome instincts, because I, I think it's just the case that most freshmen and sophomores and, and, and like teenagers are not like good at the minutia of off ball defense. Um, and just like seeing guys who like know that and like want to learn about it and yet are already so impactful, just like based on their instincts. Like it's just another reason, like like you said, like like to bet on Nate hitting the stick and, you know, just to, just to find a role somewhere um, in the NBA one day. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I was really glad that you highlighted that the entry to Stewart because it's it's one of my favorite uh, like prospect plays from the year, uh, and it yeah. just highlights that he's he's all like processing speed and instincts, um, and, and then also just like and he's I mean, strong as I mean, shit. Like that, oh, he's that. so strong. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but he yeah he he's a really uh good and fun player, and uh, and that's another uh PBC film room that that all of the listeners should check out. Um, with that, we're going to cut part one, uh, and then we'll, we'll hop back on in a few minutes for us, but uh, a couple days for the listeners and talk some more film rooms, uh, future of PBC and some other stuff. So, um, Ben, you want to, you want to outro us? Yeah. I mean, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to, to John for, for spending his day with us talking about PBC, PBC. You, you can follow, you know, the, the PBC on, on Twitter at pro B ball combine, Follow John personally at John Chep. Um, John, is there anything else you'd like, you'd like to plug or anything you want to say? No, that's all I got, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome, man. So, yeah, like, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow the pod at prep number two pro pod on Twitter. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max at Carlin. And with that, thank you all for listening and have a good day.